raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my We're somewhere near Barça, on the edge of the desert, when the drugs began to take hold. I remember saying something like, Jesus Christ, Jacob, why in God's name did you let me take charge of this podcast? Then I remembered and there was a f- terrible roar. And there's bats screaming all around me. And I remembered. This is my favorite movie. And I am officially now being christened as a uh, uh, host (laughs) for this uh, particular podcast. Yes. Yes. uh, The reins are being given to me. Yes. Yes. I'm Jake. I'm Sam. And uh, this is uh, Jake's old interview, but... I am having Sam take charge on this because this is simply this movie means everything. Yeah, it really does. It's it's so does the book. Yeah, the book, the movie, everything about this movie. And to put it out there, what we're talking about, in case you already know from the the opening line that I I did there, is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. My favorite movie of all time. My favorite book of all time. Um, Hunter Thompson is a huge character in my life. Um, Early on, I thought I wanted to be a journalist, and so, and it was entirely um, fueled, you know, almost kind of in a cringy way, but not not really. Or oh, thank you. Yeah, okay. Now I'm wearing colored sunglasses. He gets, the, he gets the honors. It fits perfectly. So, oh, they're wearing as Thompson sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. So that yeah, it, it was. It, I, I, not not necessarily. I mean, I don't know. I, looking back, it, it feels like it was kind of in a cringy way because I, there's so many young people and, and just people in general who are so attracted to Hunter S. Thompson and, and you know, all he did um, counterculture-wise and for journalism because not only was he such a brilliant writer and such a brilliant journalist, but he was just such an amazing counterculture figure and so many people tend to take sort of the when they get into um, journalism sort of get a little bit too wrapped up, you know, if he is one of their influences, get, get wrapped up in, in trying to reproduce him. And um, I, I wouldn't say I was, I was going down that road, but I, w- I was very enamored by him. And um, he was a huge um, object of a passion for me for the, the field of writing. And he still remains a, a, a huge object of passion for the field of writing for me. So um very excited to be ho I guess host. Yeah, guest host. Yeah. 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 Hey guys, uh, <laughs> are, people sh- <laughs> are people shaving in there? I know it's Jerry Seinfeld, but uh, but I mean, uh, I agree with uh, the fact that Hunter S. Thompson is more like uh, one of the. Uh, he has to be like the most prominent. Uh, oh fuck! He has to be the most uh, prominent uh, counterculture icon. 
time. Yeah, well, as far as right, like, yeah. he's up there with like I feel like kind of there's Thomas Thompson, there's people like Frank Zappa, yeah, people like that. But they're like so unique. Yeah, true counterculture creatives. And just to, so we can kind of set the mood for, for anybody listening, we're sitting in my house. Um, we're sitting in my what was once christened as a beer pong room. Not too much beer pong playing anymore uh, for some reason. I'm not too sure why. I think I just ran out of red cups. <laughs> but um, uh, sort of a glassed in, screened off, semi outside, semi semi inside room. Um, I got a glass of scotch. Um, as you know, Hunter liked to, I, this is doers. Hunter liked to drink Chivas. Um, I only had doers at the house and we're smoking and we're, yeah, it's just about midnight. So, oh no, actually it's exactly, it's exactly midnight. Exactly midnight. So it's, it's perfect. I think it's perfect timing to talk about this movie. Oh, one of the best. I mean, uh, the book is legendary. Um, yep. I think it released in 1971 originally as a Rolling Stone article and then in 72 as a paperback book. Um, a huge, like probably one of the most prominent uh, pieces of literature of the 21st century, definitely held in very high regard to this day. Yeah, well, a very big piece of um, uh, socio-political commentary, so um, well, socio-cultural commentary, really, if you're in Las Vegas, you know, talking about the death of the American dream. Um, as sort of an overarching concept, as like a post- you know, Nixon, uh, well, this is 71, right? So Nixon was, a, a, he was still in office. He was still in office. He was a, going to be reelected in 72. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, um, really just sort of kind of coming out of the sort of this big wave in this, um, the sixties peaking in 69 of this sort of, um, counterculture, progressive free thinking wave kind of being slapped in the face a little bit by this political figure who is just a complete dirtbag, very um, conservative Republican, very pro-war, I mean, perpetuating very parallel, the war. Nixon's very parallel to Trump now. Yeah. Or comparing, it's a comparison. I mean, not exact, but a lot not, of Yeah. Not, I, I don't really see, uh, I mean, I see parallels and uh, I think it's really different. But, um, I mean, Nixon was... Um, Not a good guy. No, yeah, he was he, he was a, definitely a, a, a shitty dude as far as, you know, I mean, as we all know now. So, um, But uh, so much to fucking unravel about this book. So, I mean, I guess we can... Well, I'm, yeah, I mean, we'll focus on uh, the movie. The movie, movie yeah, very, of course, right. I meant movie. Which uh, is very good because the movie is a very great adaptation of the book, kind of to a T. Yes. Um, how were you first exposed? Uh, first of all, I want to mention this movie. Do you know uh, what year this movie came out? Um, I think 2000. And... No, I have no idea. I know it's sometime in the 2000s. The year I was born. 2000. <laughs> I was not born in the 2000s. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> 2011? <laughs> what are you. Are you a Fortnite player? Right, my co host is an eight year old. <laughs> We keep them around for goofs. <laughs> no, next ninety-eight. Okay, you're born ninety-eight. Okay, yeah, yeah right. Oh, that makes sense. Um, but uh, what was your first uh, exposure to the movie? Well, I want to like kind of your exposure to that book and Hunter S. Thompson in general, and how it leads into you discovering the movie and watching it for the first time, and your kind of initial first thoughts. Right. So. Uh, God, I wish I could come up, like, you know, drum up some, like, really good anecdote for how I was first exposed to the movie. Because 
the movie was what I saw first. Um, yeah. Well, same here. Right. And um, I don't really know the exact, like, maybe, maybe one of my friends might know, but um, I don't really remember the exact circumstance that involved my being exposed to the movie. I'm pretty sure I watched it at my friend Nick's house. Um, which is where I was exposed to many things while under the influence. Um, and I, I, I know it had something to do with somebody like, man, you're going to love this movie. It's weird. And there's drugs. And I was <laughs> like, Oh, well, I like both those things. <laughs> so um, it got put on. I remember just being so captivated by it. And I think, um, how old were you? Got, I had to have been like my early teens. Wow. Like, like I, I 13 or 14. Yeah. Well, the thing with Pulp Fiction and, and, and me just to you know, put a bit of a segue, which I think is also a similar thing with Free and Loathing Las Vegas, was um, we'd be fucked up, and someone would put it on, and then oh, I, fa- yeah. I then I would fall asleep, which is a, a reoccurring yeah. thing even nowadays. Well, I mean, I fell asleep during Uncut Gems. I did. Well, I, to be fair, I came back and finished the movie on my own. It's just you know, if because I it's top notch, right? If I if I have a few drinks in me, there's no fucking chance in hell I'm gonna be able to finish a movie. I just can't. I just fall asleep every single fucking time. I don't know what it is, but we should I do. find like more of Arabia when when I drunk and just fall asleep during right, I just fall, I just, movie. Just fall asleep in like twenty minutes. Be <laughs> so race here in the background, like in your sleep, like camels and stuff. Like, da, da, da. That'd be some fun. <laughs> DVD uh, box of Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, I have, I've never seen it, honestly. Lawrence of Arabia? I need to watch Lawrence of Arabia. That's on my bucket list. One time, one, Teen Gone with the Wind. Never seen Lawrence of Arabia. One time I held a DVD copy of Lawrence of Arabia in my hands. What? Where? Uh, my, my uncle, he had a gigantic rubbermaid bin of dvds i don't know where he got them from like huge yeah like well significantly large and he was like oh pick out a few movies if you want to like borrow a few movies and i picked out a few and i remember lawrence of arabia was in there i had no idea what it was about but it looked old and well, i was looking like at it one of the time. really it's in the national film who's lawrence and why is he in arabia get lawrence out of arabia right this fucking instant lawrence has no business being in arabia that's not going to go well on Twitter this episode. What are you talking about? <laughs> Who let a Jew in Arabia? <laughs> no! no. That's no, it's not. Oh, no. Okay. As long as it's even a Jewish name. Yeah. So I want you to kind of... Uh, uh, I don't know if you want to go first. I kind of wanted to go to the plot of the movie, but before then, is it okay if I give kind of like a brief background of the development that led up to the movie? Sure. Okay. So, we are in Las Vegas. Uh, came out in 1970. They tried for years to get it to uh, be made, and there right. were many people that were. Well, firstly, Mars Scorsese and Oliver Stone both tried to make the movie, and they weren't able to. That is really interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. Scorsese and Oliver Stone. And two, uh, big Rob Bakshi, uh, animated filmmaker, wanted to make it an animation because he felt of how amazing the story is. It can only do well in animation. Right. So, so a fair argument. <laughs> They were really glad they didn't go that way, by the way. Well, you want to do it in the illustrations of the book. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't go that way either. But I think live action I think, was. I, I think the that best it version. would have been more interesting, like, say we had this version and that version existed. Right. So maybe a maybe short film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like an animated short film, but not of like a segment of Fear and Loathing, but not the whole movie. Because I, like, I mean, first of all, 
I think Terry Gilliam's directing was fucking unreal. Oh, fucking I think unreal. it captured the spirit of the book. So, because I, I'm just to give a little context, I've read the book *Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas* seven or eight times. Yeah. Um, I've read almost all of Hunter S. Thompson's books, yeah. other than his like more collected works and, and more obscure things. I've read the *Rum*. Di- I own the *Rum Diary*. Um, you like it? It's good. It's it's a it's a his the thing about his writing is. There's a, a a very distinct difference between his um him is uh, well his, him in, in his Gonzo years and like when he was formulating Gonzo journalism and when he was a more mature developed writer. Whereas when he was younger, like if you read his first um you know novel adaptation, Hell's Angels, which I did read, um it was excellent writing, but entirely different than what his later works were like, especially if you're looking at space. That's Absolutely, of, of course it is, and, and, and but you know it's they're just different reads. Yeah. So, but uh, Terry Gilliam, oh yeah, he uh, great choice. I mean, he's very well known film. I mean, he started off as a member of Monty Python. He did all their illustrations. He made movies like Brazil and The Fisher King, and now he's doing this adaptation of a book. And I mean, I, I think Oliver Stone and Martin Scorsese probably would have been done fine job too. Yeah, but directed Gilliam, by Michael Bay. Ooh, cringe. But I mean, they had they were this movie. God took so long to make that they had so many uh, people they wanted to play the characters of the right. ages. Yeah. So Jack Nicholson and Marlon Brando were originally considered for the roles of Duke and Gonzo, but wow. they were too old. Huh. Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi were considered for the duo, but then he died. Right. Interesting. John Malkovich was considered to play Duke. Hmm. And so was John Cusack. John Cusack, because I know um, Hunter and, and John Cusack were friends and remained friends until his death. Well, uh, it says here Cusack had previously directed the play version with his brother playing, which I think is... Because you know John Cusack and High Fidelity had a copy of fucking Fear and Love oh, Las yeah, Vegas yeah. in his fucking apartment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and then what happened is Hunter S. Thompson uh, said uh, after he met John Depp, he was convinced no one else could play him. Because yeah, Johnny Depp was the most handsome. Well, maybe it's like on John, you know. Yeah. And then that led to uh, Benicio del Toro being. Uh, and fucking, let's Benicio just take a. Benicio del Toro, he gained more than forty-five pounds for the role. He would eat sixteen donuts a day. Man, just imagine being in that situation. Like, listen, you need to get a little fatter for this role. <laughs> I fucking got you. <laughs> <laughs> imagine just eating. Yeah, I just be like, fuck. Well, I well, guess I like need to. De Niro in Raging Bull, he would literally just like eat. A bunch of like or Vigo Mortensen agree, but they would literally just eat dessert, pasta, and down it with milkshakes. Right. Like what the fuck? So you wake up in the morning like I, 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 I guess Vice. I need to go to McDonald's for breakfast this morning. Or, or it, like, for my job. It's like Christian Bale and Vice, like you just have to gain weight. Yeah. And then he had to lose a shitload of for uh, Ford B. Ferrari. Imagine, imagine doing like, uh, uh, what was the name of the movie? Uh, this is just me drawing a dumb blank, but you, we, we played Dick Janey. the other game. Vice. Vice. What is that? I know. He, um, <clears throat> imagine having to gain that weight and then having to do like The Machinist right after. Well, you kind of did. I mean, with Ford B. Ferrari, he's skinny in that movie. Right. But not in the machinist skinny. Well, he had to do the opposite, right? Right after the machinist, he did Batman Begins, and he had to bulk up. Jesus Christ, man, that guy has. Christian Bale's one of the best actors of all time. Well, that's crazy. Well, I mean, his body transformation is crazy. But we're going on a little off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he actually probably would have been a pretty good dude. But uh, uh, it's, I mean, I believe he, he, he could do any role. He, he is did. a chameleon. 
he is a very good actor, but he he did play Bob Dylan, and my, you remember in that? Oh, I actually haven't seen that movie. Yeah, I saw it I once. Know he ain't Bob I almost Dylan. felt like it was like because yeah, he's, he's kind of a little too handsome, you know. But Johnny Depp's handsome, but he's got really skinny and he shaved his head. And well, he, fine. I know people who find Christian Bale really unattractive. Really? Yeah. He's got such a strong jawline and such broad shoulders. It's kind of like, well, you know. I mean, Hunter Thompson was pretty handsome back in his day. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and uh, before the movie, Hunter S. Thompson shaved Johnny Depp's head himself in Hunter S. Thompson's kitchen. Wow. Depp refused to look in the mirror, and Thompson wore a miner's hard hat. <laughs> um, Naturally. So, uh, I, you uh, you want to uh, start the movie off? Yeah, so... Set, you want to set the tone and then go into, like, kind of talking about it. <clears throat> right, so... I mean, the movie launches off with them screening um, through uh, the, the, uh, the Nevada desert, I believe, mm-hmm. right? O- on their way. Yeah, because they're going through Nevada into California um, through Barstow, um, where the drugs began to take hold, which is exactly right where the uh, movie begins. And it was funny because I did a cross-country, uh, cross-country trip recently, and um, I remember going through Barstow and just being like, oh! part where the drugs were going to take a long time. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, I just got a convertible like that. Yeah, and um, so it's it's a very... Um, An iconic scene. It, it's, well, uh, yeah. It's a, that's With the, a, a famous um, person. Well, before they got famous in it, too. Who? Toby Maguire. Mm. Yeah, a little bit later on. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm kind of cutting you off, but I continue. Yeah, so um, they're careening through the desert um, on their way to Las Vegas, and... <clears throat> They're starting to peak on acid they're taking, and um, uh, things immediately start to become haywire after they pick up Tobey Maguire as a hitchhiker. And the genius of that scene, and I think the genius of a lot of Hunter's writing, was just the way that he articulates sort of the paranoia and... (laughs) Excuse me, the, the... in really unnecessary depth of thought that kind of is goes on within your head when you are deep with when you when you've taken you know a high dose of psychedelic drugs which i have personally experienced with and i know you do yourself yeah yeah um <laughs> you know you you think things that are absolutely like ridiculous you know you're picking up a hitchhiker is one thing you yeah know. that's insane like, it's, 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 I, like like but i think it's also uh about the type of people they are. Like, like even yeah. us who've done heavy amount of psychedelics, I think we know not to pick up random people on the side of the road. Right, and so, and, well, obviously, um, Dr. Gonzo, or um, the, the character that was modeled after um, Oscar Zeta Acosta, um, he picks up, after they trade off the wheel, he picks up Tobey Maguire, is his idea. And, you know, this, I think in everybody's brain when they pick up a, a random hitchhiker is there is an inherent paranoia and when you have a head full of acid, you know that 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 paranoia tends to sort of expand. And so when he's gazing through him in the rearview mirror, thinking, you know, uh, this desert was the last known home to the Manson family, would he make that grim connection? You know, worrying about things that are in, inherently impossible, probably for just some random kid to even think about. Oh yeah. But you know, when you <laughs> when you your your head's going that way, it, I thought it was hilarious. And, and it, I thought, and a part of the movie that exhibited, you know, the genius of the writing um, in the movie so, so well. 
I, I love that. And do you notice the cactus in the background? No. So apparently there's a cactus in the background in that scene? Well, that doesn't surprise me considering they're in the fucking desert. According to Terry Gilliam, at the beginning of the movie, when they stop on the side of the road, you see a strange looking cactus in the background. And it appears many times in the background of the movie, apparently. Hmm. But I never hidden Easter eggs that I never picked up on. I watched that movie a Easter lot of times. My favorite, no, no neither am I. Who the fuck notices Easter eggs? I like trivia, not Easter eggs. Yeah, I know that that's a statement. Is that an Easter egg or is it trivia? It's under trivia. Yeah, but who? I don't think anybody knows that except for the filmmaker. Eventually, puts well, he it said out. on the fucking DVD commentary. Yeah, well there you go. So yeah, fucking Terry Gilliam. He's now he's in. You know he's in fire now for dissing Black Panther. <laughs> You're sorry. Your reaction was amazing. They, they, they should have seen me when I was watching the last Oscars. <laughs> he was pissed at one best costume design. His comment was, it literally has the same costume design as every Marvel movie. <laughs> what, my commentary? Yeah, that was me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, they pick up Toby Maguire and he gets freaked out, and then you kind of get the background to why he's going to be. But there's that awesome line he says, or what Benicio the Torres says, it's like, "Well, your friends, but just like the others, really." No one that target put the fucking leashes on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love so much about the movie. You just like it. Uh, one great thing is that, like, as soon as it starts, you're in. Like, no, you're not. You're already in that world. And I love how it does it. Yeah. Plays the song like normal sound yep. music, and then just bam. And the how the movie is shot is brilliant. It is. Um, they, they, so you, and you get that just from the opening scene when you see the car driving. Yeah, the there's car. a lot of really excellent POV shots, I oh, think. Yeah. And the close-ups, too. I uh-huh. mean, as I mean, both of you know. I think... I, mean, I, I, never, I haven't taken as much as Hunter S. Thompson did, but I've taken uh, psychedelics. And, like, that is the same with uh, Midsommar. Uh, like, it, know, it knows how to... Like photographs. Yeah, su- subtly, subtly sort of put in these elements of psychedelics. But the, one of the things I think that are really genius about the movie is the way they portray the outside world. Because it's the movie, in, in a sense, is almost entirely POV, even if it's not shot from a POV perspective. It's entirely POV because you're within these guys' mind frame and in their scope of reality. And so, like, even when, like, um, um, he, he goes to hand uh, Toby Maguire the joint. He's like, you want some of this? And he's like, oh, no, I have asthma. And he's like, this is quiet little voice. And they're just so, you know, um, rattled by their own thoughts and, and shit that they're like, it's just all these little distractions and things are just, you know, like little pinpricks and, and, and little tiny distractions. <laughs> they, they, you know, it's just, and they see, all seem so silly and, and or, or at times hyper-exaggerated which I think gives a really good or, or portrays a really good um, 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 scape of the drug mindset. I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I even think the flashbacks are done well in this movie. I mean, it's with the first one, you like if you uh, see why he's going to the, uh, why he's going to Vegas. He's sent there to do, I think, a, was it a he was side go- hacking? Conference or motorbikes? No, he's going to cover the Mint 300 initially, which is uh, like a desert motorcycle race. And um, I love that, that scene. When, when I began to study journalism, that scene was something I came to appreciate a lot more. Well, and one thing I noticed last time I watched it was uh, he has two forms of ID his driver's license and his like, journalism ID. Yeah, well, his press pass. Press pass. Press pass, but, press I mean, pass I mean, looks I mean, good. That's a small detail, but I really like that they have that in there. 
Yeah, because you know, your press pass is what's going to get you in and get you into the event and, and whatever, right? And um, his descriptions of um, the the race itself being essentially a journalistic nightmare because you can't see anything. You can't, you know... Oh, yeah. You have no idea what's going on, and you're just surrounded by these sort of, like, grizzled bikers, and they're all sitting there drinking. What happens to his beer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, just, it, it's like, there, there's no, like, it, it, like, him going, like, he was blowing off covering that event anyways, was the, pre- the initial premise, but when he actually gets there to cover the event, it being a literal impossible thing to cover is almost like a confirmation. It's just, yeah. it's like there was, there's no fucking point in you even doing this in general because there's you, what the fuck are you going to write about? It's just big dust cloud in the desert because there's all these bikes kicking up sand. And then he has that one photographer, which I loved um, that part about the movie is the photographer. And he's like, I thought he's like, we're supposed to be meeting this Portuguese photographer. And he's some white guy comes to their hotel room. And that's usually <laughs> how it goes. Like they tell you to meet like some person. You're not yeah. They, with. Yeah. They assign you a photographer. And so the photographer meets you there. He comes from wherever the fuck he's from. But is it usually like the same uh, branch or, or is it like, he could be like, no, like, well, different, uh, like, side, like side of it. Well, for the thing about photographers and, and journalists is I'll, I'll, for a lot of them, unless they're under like a retainer of a particular like news source or something. Um, they're almost freelance. They can be sort of um, used by any sort of outcrop, you know. So especially for photographers, so they, you, you're almost like entirely freelance in a certain way. There's a lot of variables to that, and I don't really entirely know what I'm talking about in that realm. So don't quote me on that. But um, you know, for for the most part, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. For the most part, you know, that that is how it works. So, well, that's really interesting. Yeah, so that's why this, this guy shows up and, and he's, you know, blown out on acid and he's hiding behind the bar. He's like, you're not Portuguese, man. <laughs> <laughs> and well, uh, I mean, well, you want to hear something interesting. What's that? Uh, you know the scene where they're in the restaurant and uh, Rao tosses the change at the little person waiter? Yes. Uh, Hunter S. Thompson did not like that scene. Really? Do you find it demeaning towards little people? Uh, no. Matt Roloff, <laughs> little people. His big exact word, word was uh, Hunter S. Thompson strongly objected to the scene where Ralph Duke tosses change at the dwarf waiter, finding it distasteful and inaccurate to the character. Mm. Yeah, because it uh, there was a lot of sort of disrespectful behavior. I I never really got from my sort of you know experience in watching media that involved Hunter. Um, to be a disrespectful person. I seemed to, at, I, I saw him as defiant, but polite for the most part. Like he was a polite guy. He, he was, because he was a journalist, you know, you can't be, a, he was an, an excellent journalist. He was incredibly reputable in, in political spheres and in sports spheres. He wasn't the type of person that would just kind of be that sort of nasty towards people like you he, he would because th- that's the type of thing that draws attention to you and then we draw attention to yourself you can't get yourself into places and the big thing about being a journalist is being able to get yourself somewhere where you can witness something happening and then report on it and i know a lot of his frustration later in life came from his fame because he like he even says um during a jimmy uh jimmy carter rally um he had to sign more autographs than jimmy carter <laughs> 
because oh my god and, and he said my my ability to sort of sit in the background and observe you know the happenings of particular events and report on it ha- have been entirely lost and he was always a st- i mean he, he was on conan Bryan for fuck's sake yeah that was much later but that, well, no i mean i mean like the point i'm making is like his fame stayed with him his whole life yeah he became very famous and and and, and fame as a as like a, a journalist is at that point almost entirely unheard of unless you become a novelist you know no, as like a, King. right as, as an actual journalist it's just like anderson cooper now right it's like the only but that's broadcast journalism it's, it's, true, it's not the same yeah as, as a print journalist to become that famous and to be recognizable is detrimental to your craft in a way so he uh was very frustrated by that that's know, very Okay, so what are your thoughts on the fact, like, 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 the one, like, okay, so I want you to kind of continue from there. It's your reign now. Okay, so, well, we, we started talking about, uh... I want, we can let this conversation go wherever. It's a, it's a web. Right. Well, I mean, if we want to go linear along the, the plot of the storyline... Um, or do we want to talk about our favorite scenes? I don't know. It's you can a, go all over. You're, no, you're Okay. Wow. I'm not used to having this much power. What do you think? No one man they, should they, have they all that the song, power. They couldn't get the song Sympathy for, uh, for the Devil for the soundtrack. I wonder how you felt about that. Because I know, wasn't he friends? Happy. He was friends with Keith Richards. Wait. But Keith, the Rolling Stones don't own the rights to their music. Mm-hmm. They sold it to a record exec named Helen Klein. Uh, I mean, what do you think of what is it? Good job, Helen. Who? Helen. Who's Helen? Helen Klein. No, Alan Klein. Oh, fuck you, Alan. <laughs> He's dead now. Well, then, fuck your He's corpse. He's the one that was a that uh, on the song "Bittersweet Symphony." He took all the writing credit because it sampled too much of a Rolling Stone song. Uh, well, that that I didn't really like that song anyway. So you like "Bittersweet Symphony"? No, I hate that song. Really? Yeah, I hate it. I don't know why. That's so interesting. Yeah, I really dislike it. I don't know why. I don't know why. I just did something that grates against me. That's actually super interesting. Well, I'll tell you, we'll get back to it, but that's a song I used to love, but I can't really listen. It doesn't do anything. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like the the, the swelling violins and the, I don't know. I just There's, there's just something that gr- about the, the the spirit of that song that grates against me. Well, if you get hate mail because of that. Bring on the hate mail, baby. I mean, what do you think of his... My P.O. boxes. I'm just kidding. I mean, what do you think of his mescaline trip? Um, well, what is he taking to the hotel when he gets there and he makes, makes the bar hallucinate like uh, lizards? Well, he, he would, they were on acid at that, at, at that particular time. And uh, they'd taken a, a lot of it. And he was just sort of not dealing with it well. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know. And with my experience with acid, would you ever hallucinate an entire bar being velociraptors and having like you know unbridled no. sex i don't think so i think that might have been a stretch um could you have certainly freaked out and thought that the inherent morals behind everybody were like some sort of like <laughs> what is this like primal like they live yeah like some sort of primal like like monstrous like copulative disgusting mess i could see that which is just good writing you know like we're in the middle of a fucking reptile zoo 
and someone was feeding booze to these things, you know, instead so of kind of playing off like, you know, the primal nature, the, the primal nature that comes out of people when you drink. Yeah. So, yeah, that that's one of the scenes I love. I mean, I mean, the plot of the movie goes in scenes. I mean, it, the initial part of the movie, him covering the race, ends in like the first half hour. And then it kind of just, it, it has a plot, but it, it's more like free structure. Like this happens and this happens. It's a, I like the chain of events. It it kind of feels more journalistic. Like once you are finished with an assignment, you move on to another assignment. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, to me, even the fact that he could extrapolate cohesive thoughts while going through several drug trips and writing things—I know, right? Like, how is mind blowing to me? Because after even you know, if I sit down and try and write something after even like you know four, five, six drinks. I sound like a toddler. <laughs> I just don't even understand how you could possibly fucking do that. But it seemed like he tended to thrive in that environment. He tended to think his best thoughts in that way. Granted, I don't really know much about his process. He could have gone home and rethought a lot of stuff after that and then rewrote it because I doubt he was writing a lot on site. But um, even then, it was very impressive. You know, having being someone who's semi- experience in the entire thing yeah, yeah. absolutely absolutely you know. uh, i mean i mean we'll, we'll talk about like our highlights favorite scenes right but i have i definitely have a lot of favorite scenes from the movie but um yeah i don't know now how about this and now this the, let's talk about the performances yes let's oh fuck my cigarette went out can I get another goddamn shivs in here? I did, I did Weight Watchers for the shower now, but it's after midnight, so it thinks that was my breakfast. This man just had technically had White Claw for breakfast. No, coconut rum. Ooh, that's even worse. <laughs> no, I mean, how good are Benicio Latour and Jaja? Um, both amazing. Excellent. Talk about. I want you to talk about your pre- your favorite. Why you love the performances, why they excel at them, and stuff like that. Well, I know um, Johnny Depp um, had the privilege of spending some time with Hunter and learning, because he, he has a very um, unique way of speaking, sort of very deep, sort of mumbled, um, stuttery way of speaking, um, like talking with a cigarette in your mouth type sort of language. Um, also, um, a very sporadic, manic, and um, often people often describe it as violent, but I, I really never saw any violence. It was mostly just sort of like a uh, a fixation with the idea of violence, sort of like he loved to wave around weapons, and he he loved the the sort of the um, the fright and power that came behind sort of waving a cattle prod around or, or something. He, 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 he liked to sort of not scare people, but he liked to sort of um, um, be an element of sort of chaos at certain times. It's kind I of think. like what Artie Lang said about drug use. Yeah. He said, uh, what I love about drug use is it made, made my life chaos. And he said he loved it, unlike most people who say they don't. Yeah. Well, I think that the, the average man of the drug user... He said he loved being out of yeah. Well, I think drug users do love being out of control. 
Yeah, they, they want to be fucked up all the time. Yeah, you want to you, you want to just have you just kind of want to be in a spiral all the time and just have you know it's it's a sense of stimulation. It's like an endless party they want. Exactly, and so um, um, I think Johnny Depp's time with with Hunter because I don't think Johnny Depp is entirely that type of person at all. Um, I think a lot of people are. Red that doesn't match is the height because Johnny Depp's five ten and Hunter S. Thompson was six three. Yeah, that but, was the only thing that was majorly different. Right, but it, it doesn't really play. Oh no! Yeah, it doesn't really play as like a you know as a defining anything in in the movie. So oh no, it was just um, not. But you know, Benicio del Toro definitely had a um, I think more of a sort of personalized. Uh, role in the movie because he um, Oscar Zeta Costa wasn't a lot. The fun, interesting thing about Oscar Zeta Costa, um, he was a real lawyer in yeah, really. in uh, I, I believe L.A. at the time. Um, he was a counterculture lawyer um, working with I guess within sort of like the Brown Power movement. From what I've read, yeah, yeah. he was he was kind of bailing people out of who were activists and shit like that, and he. Um, um, nobody really knows what happened to him. They know he's dead. Yeah, um, he went missing, right? He went missing, and people think he got killed off by some sort of like gang or something. Like he ended up getting sort of like whacked, you know. So he obviously got involved in some bad shit, and you can kind of see that, and it's sort of the way he kind of operates himself um, throughout the book. But um, as far as his actual like physical like demeanors and, and his behavior goes, I think it, it was mostly up to Benicio del Toro, and the way he represented him was, I almost think he was one of one of my more favorite performances in the movie, over, almost over Johnny Depp. Yeah, I'd actually kind of agree. With yeah, that. because just the personalization behind it was incredible. Well, he is like he is uh, that like he, he he's that part amazing. Yeah, like, he doesn't even uh, like you don't see Benicio del Toro now. Benicio del Toro is like one of the best actors out there. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but the way he sort of like portrays this kind of there's like a there's the the Dr. Gonzo is a real sort of antagonist to Raul Duke during Fear and Love in Las Vegas as sort of like, he keeps providing problems, but he also provides at some point solutions yeah, to the it. current problem. And so um, Duke is sort of, uh, uh, um, sort of this character is kind of thrust in this crazy environment. He's supposed to perform a task. And um, Dr. Gonzo is kind of this guy who keeps sort of, um, providing elements to it and then um, providing solutions and stuff. But um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna reserve um, my favorite part of his performance for my favorite scenes because there's a favorite scene of mine that is um, predominantly a Dr. Gonzo scene in the movie that I will reserve for when we decide to discuss that. But um, yeah, I think Benicio del Toro um, is. Close to, if not surpassing, Johnny Depp is my favorite performance in the movie. And it's not like there's a lot of really great performances. But I mean, it's mainly those two guys. Yeah. But they see a lot of side characters. I mean, there's some, uh, like, uh, Christina Ritchie's in it, uh, Ellen Burstyn, yeah. Carrie Busey. <laughs> right. You know, there's a little bit, bit, bit Oh, Tony Moore Pryor, too. Yep. Uh, and, yeah, it's... Uh, and you said that there was an Oscar winner, actually. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, for the movie Traffic. For Pan's Labyrinth. No, he wasn't. He played the he played Pan. <laughs> he played great Pan. Well, Pan the girl. No, her name was. I don't know. There's that part with the with the adrenochrome where he oh. he gets the horns. He's kind of like Pan. Yeah. Would you like to go to favorite scenes? Sure. I mean, I I certainly have a few of them. All right. Unless you wanted to talk about something before. Uh, not really. I mean, I'm, I know you want me to lead the charge here, but I'm really. Well, I'm helping you, guy. But you're hosting with training wheels. Hosting with training wheels. I mean, I want. Can we get a donation of training wheels on on the podcast here? But just put that on the Patreon page. Can you donate training? Please wheels? donate some training wheels. <laughs> Start a group. Gro- 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 put them on my bike. Can you imagine if you if you biked around? That's one of the tiers. If you donate this amount of money, we'll get Sam to ride a bike with training wheels. I will ride my bike with training wheels. Oh my god, I'm gonna make that one of the tiers on Patreon. Do it. I like how much should it be? How, how much is adult be? training wheels? But I don't know. Like, I've seen be? I've seen um for speed bikes, you can get like for like actual like speed bike racers. We have to go around the track. You can get training wheels that have shocks. So when you do have to do the really low lanes, you can like keep like not have to worry about eating shit. <laughs> That's so true though. I mean, hear this. Hearing. Uh my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. There's so many. I mean, I love the the beginning of the movie is fantastic. How it just sets you in the mood that's a big highlight for me i love that just the intro to these guys is fantastic you're in their world asap and i love that i love the part where he's reporting the race and i I just love like the chaos of it i love how it just kind of sags into one scene because i feel like the whole movie is a favorite moment because i love like when uh, dr gonzo leaves him stranded at the hotel and he, he with the pill, and so like Hunter, uh, where Al has to leave. Which, by the way, if you've ever been the type of per- like, if you've ever been at a party with a friend who you don't know, and then they all of a sudden like fuck off. Oh yeah. And you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Wait, you've had that? Like, you went to a party with someone, they just left. Oh well, no, they're not not like leave me, but they disappear. Like they go somewhere. Like they're hooking up with a girl or something, and you're like, oh. like where the fuck even am I? But instead, he actually left the state. Except, yeah, in in this case, he he left and left him with like a gigantic hotel bill and all this responsibility and you know all the consequence of what they had well, done. That goes more into what you were saying, like despite all his faults, he's valuable. Yeah, it was like a it was a good uh, look into like the reality behind when you sort of go on some crazy binge that involves being in public and and you know doing things financially that like. There's going to be repercussions behind it. And Dr. Gonzo just kind of like fled the repercussions and then left him with it. And he's like, oh, fuck, I got to deal with all this right now. <laughs> and you know, and, then, and that's, that is, I'll, I'll spoil, well, you know, one of my favorite scenes is when he's in the car and he's trying to pull out to get away. And the, the hotel manager runs out at him. He's like, oh, that was, and he's like, you know, uh, he's like, um, you know, uh, you, you, you racked, you racked up a big, you got a telegram. Um, and he racked up a pretty big bill, and he's pretending not to be Raoul Duke. He's like, the telegram's not for Thompson. It's from, or from Thompson. It's for him. Blah, blah, blah. Because Raoul Duke was a, 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 an anagram for Hunter S. Thompson, or yeah. something like that. And he's like, he, he, he sort of inverts, or I think, yeah, he inverts what they were doing. And uh, 
the hotel manager is chasing after him. He's driving away and he's like, we'll get lunch. And he goes, right-o, man, right-o. <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorites. That's actually one of my favorite yeah, scenes. Yeah, yeah. And another one of my favorite yeah. scenes is the flashback scene. Which is when which they, flashback? He's like, that's me, that's me. And they're playing somebody to love in the background. Oh, yeah. And then Hunter S. Thompson is actually in. He's his cameo. On the yeah, movie. he has his cameo in the movie at, at, during, at the Matrix. Oh, he's like, oh, anybody wants a message? I got all the makings. All I need is a place to cook. <laughs> so who, made, who knew Joe Swanson could cook acid? He probably cooked meth before cooking acid. I'd be so down. Oh my god. Smoke Joe Swanson meth. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's some. And I actually love the ending of the movie. We'll talk about that after you talk about your favorite scenes. Right, okay. So, um, the problem with my favorite scenes, it, or trying to think about what my favorite scenes are, is that um, I immediately draw a blank because... I have to think about it from a linear perspective, sort of. Um, the uh, the uh, well, well, kind of. I'll help you go back on track. You sure. Know, at the beginning, when Benicio does how he licks the cocaine off the suitcase, that was improvised. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that I mean, that kind of makes sense. That's more of like sort of like a like a part of the scene. Um, um, a scene I do love. Oh, there's so many scenes. Honestly, but um, a scene I love. I, I do love when the photographer no, shows. You can, you, can, you, you can go on as long as you want. Okay. The uh, I do love when the photographer shows up to the hotel initially, and he's like, "Hey, Duke, Duke," and they're sitting there, and then Benicio del Toro sitting in the corner with the sunglasses on, and he's like all violent and, and stabby, and then uh, Raul Duke's hiding behind. Uh, the bar and he's like oh man you gotta see the bikes out there we got triumphs yamas hondas and it goes into because he's watching the the thing about the vietnam war and it's like kawasaki's <laughs> it's like, guns going, he's like you're not fucking portuguese man <laughs> and he's like super uncomfortable he's like, oh very very fast <laughs> anyway I'll see you guys later <laughs> That's a great one. Oh my goodness. Oh um, my goodness. I love that scene too. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, I love the scene in the, when they go to the diner and uh, Dr. Gonzo's like... Is that the scene you're talking about? The one mainly focused on Dr. Gonzo? Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about uh, when, when they go to the diner and um, he's like, how much of that pie? And there's, there's that waitress and he cuts the cord on the phone. You know, he's being really violent. It's pretty fucked up. Yeah, it was really fucked up. It was like really pimpish. She's like, she's like, I don't have any time for some spick pimp. Spits on him. And he walks over and cuts a cord of the phone, throws at her. He's like, give me that whole pie. What do you think what type of pie it was? It looked like a lemon meringue pie. Oh, I wish it was something better. You don't like lemon meringue pie? I don't like key lime pie either. What? Two What's your favorite kind of pie? Um... Uh, probably pumpkin pie. <laughs> Are you that disgusting? <laughs> answer? I love most types of pie. Oh, God. I love apple, cherry, no, that was, I just, that my drink went down the wrong hole. <laughs> um, 
Um, but it's very fitting. Yeah. Well, what was your favorite? Because you're my little pumpkin guy. Okay. Like pumpkin favorite? pie, you're my pumpkin guy. <laughs> what was your favorite? What was your favorite? <coughs> uh, to kind of, oh, well, if you like, uh, want to kind of just base it down. Do you want to do favorite scenes involving each actor? Uh, we could do that. You start because okay, so maybe we'll reinvigorate me. Favorite scene would be Inicio del Toro. It's really hard to fathom down because, like, there's a lot of moments in the movie centered on him, but I just love his highlights throughout. Like, like the like the scene where they're in the car on, on the way to the on the on the way to Vegas in the beginning. You know, it's uh, that scene's kind of focused on Hunter, but. Uh, the things Dr. Gonzo does during it, like his freakouts are amazing. Mm-hmm. Like he like he's like this fucking thing, and then you know, Dr. Gonzo's like, the fuck funny you, thing. hands off my fucking neck. <laughs> and then he just shoots his gun. The dude's like, what the fuck are we doing? He holds a fucking gun in the hunter's face. See, the funny thing is, I model a lot of my own personal freakouts after Dr. Gonzo's freakouts in the car. <laughs> Where's he's waving his arm, trying to say, my heart feels like an alligator. <laughs> oh my goodness! No, and I wanna in my that I mean, there's so many scenes like that. It, it's like I love the scene where him and Christina, which he have the paintings, Barbara Streisand around them. I just love. The you know who else is in the movie that we didn't mention? Who? Cameron Diaz. She is. She is. She's a, she's the little reporter in the elevator that he's like. She took my woman, man. Oh, I never knew that. She took my woman, and this way he pulls the knife on the reporter, and he. I never noticed that. Yeah, it's Cameron Diaz. Damn, that's a yeah, small cameo. I also remember my favorite uh, Dr. Gonzo uh, scene. If we want to talk about it, yeah. So, um, my favorite Dr. Gonzo scene—it's not not so much of a scene as it is just a kind of like a small, tiny portion of the movie. But it's when, um, he, so he calls, um. Duke, and he says, it's after Duke leaves, which, and it has another one of my favorite scenes with the cop, you know? Oh, yeah. And, cops, and, that's a, and Hunter S. Thompson initially was horrified by that scene. He's like, and then he grew to like it. A little kiss for the road. I'm so lonely out here. It's Gary fucking Busey. Oh, that's Gary Busey. Okay, that makes sense. I can see that now. Okay. No, it's okay. I, I, didn't, I didn't notice because he has the. Hat. Any, anyways, what would you say to Gary I would say, um, enjoy your Amazon. Do you want to go snowboarding? <laughs> enjoy your Amazon Echo. Do you want to talk about your favorite Dr. Gonzo? Yes. So, um, um, my favorite one is so um, he call he calls him frantically, and it's after one of my favorite lines, which says, um, "All um, all whims." Follow according towards a great magnet. How what a fool I was to to defy him, <laughs> which is one of my favorite quotes of the entire movie and book. For some reason, I don't know why. I just like it. I love that. That's a good quote. Right? Yeah, and um, uh, he comes back. Uh, he goes. He's like, what the? F-? He calls Doctor Gonzo and he goes, "What the fuck are you talking about? You're supposed to cover this other story." Um, I got a room for us booked at this hotel. Get back there now. And he plays it off. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 of course. So he goes back there. And Dr. Gonzo's brought back this, like, weird girl. You know? Oh, yeah. Some weird, like, young girl. And he's, like, all dressed like a like Jesus yeah. in the hotel room. And she paints pictures of Barbara Streisand. And she's, like, some Christian freak. And he's all freaked out about it. He's like, 
what kind of fuck she's like what kind of judicial horrors could be painted about us where when you pick a girl up at the airport and feed her acid some young christian girl who just wants to go meet barbara tries in las vegas you fed her acid and you feed her acid and and then you you penetrate her with your uncircumcised Samoan dick and shit like that. And he, he realizes the horror of what he's done. He goes, don't say shit. Don't say shit like that. What are you, what are you saying? Like, you feel like that snapped him out. Well, it, I think sort of the beauty of that entire scene was um, <laughs> sort of like, it's almost like Dr. Gonzo was kind of like inherently horny. In a way, yeah. Like he he wanted to like he had that, and and Duke was more there for the experience and the journalistic parts of it. And um, he was trying to bring girls around stuff, and he's like, "You're bringing a thin part, bringing in the third party. You're incriminating us. You're doing this. You're doing that." And then he kind of realizes it afterwards, and he realizes like the horror of the things that he's actually done. And I thought it was fucking hilarious and so fucking, I don't know, just like the accuracy kind of, you know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. I totally agree with that. And uh, I haven't, yeah, I agree with you. That seems incredible. And just the trip they take when they actually go to that conference. Or the, the, the oh, hotel, yeah. 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 The marijuana button is called a roach because it resembles a roach. And the and the dope fiend. The way you can recognize a dope fiend is by semen stains on his pants from constantly jerking off when he cannot find a rape victim. And he looks down in his pants and he has a jizz stain on it. <laughs> you remember that? <laughs> Delay. Sorry. It smell like burnt toast in here. No. <laughs> That's your cigarette. That's a joke about having a stroke. Well, true. My favorite. What if we both both stroked out on the podcast? No, no, <laughs> no. My favorite Johnny Depp moment is definitely his uh, kind of uh, it, it, it kind of ties into the ending of the movie. And the ending of the movie, my favorite Johnny Depp scene. At least I think. My favorite Johnny Depp scene is uh, his end is like uh, when he's in his room typing his last piece, like finishing up the piece to fear and loathing in the flooded hotel room <clears throat> at the end of the movie. Um, I'm struggling to bring that scene to mind. It's like, and then he dro- and then it like uh, follows with him driving off. Mm. Fuck, I can't remember. Have to rewatch it, I guess. I rewatched it not that long ago, but it's basically like his ending monologue. Okay, I mean, I know the the obviously the really famous one of talking about the sixties and it yeah, being roughly, a, yeah. a beautiful piece. wave. Yeah. yeah, that's my favorite part. And his his uh, monologue at the beginning about him and his narration is incredible throughout the movie. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, yeah. So, is there anything else you want to talk about about the movie? Um. Well. Um, yeah, maybe. So one of the things I loved about the movie, which I had sort of hinted on kind of initially was, 
the uh, integration of sort of like a, a not like a, a reactive but a subdued reactive sort of environment of people kind of like it, it always seems to be sort of shrugged off kind of you know like all these people kind of like freaking out and all these people around reacting to the the way that they're you know acting and um not i mean maybe shrugged off is a bad way to put it but more so like they're um kind of being sort of subdued by the their personal sort of world kind of you know and how they're just kind of they're they're almost kind of like sims yeah. you know kind of like like walking like oh, what are you guys doing like it's like no real regard for uh the decency of the people that are around them they're all just kind of sort of like reactive drones and i i think that's hilarious you know because when you're in that sort of state there's no really other way you can possibly react other than regarding people as just kind of like drones and 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 sort of pimples on your <laughs> on, and, and, and in your sort of like general landscape you know yeah oh I, yeah 100 percent mm. uh i mean um before we uh, kind of maybe uh, re- close off uh, i kind of want to go over roger ebert's review of this movie he gave it one star out of four i can't fuck roger ebert uh, no don't don't he said, Hunter S. Thompson's Funeral in Las Vegas is a funny book by a gifted writer who seems gifted and funny no longer. He coined the term gonzo journalism to describe his guerrilla approach to reporting, which consists of getting stoned out of his mind, hurling himself in a story, and recording it in a frenzied hyperbole. Thompson's early book on the Hells Angels described motorcyclists who like to ride as close to the line as they could without losing control. At some point after writing that book in Books on Vegas in the 1972 presidential campaign, Thompson apparently crossed his own personal line. His work became increasingly incoherent and meandering, and reports from his refuge in Woody Creek, Colorado, depicted a man lost in the gloom of his pleasures. Ah, well, he was funny before we flamed out. Friend Loathing Las Vegas is a film based on the book of the same name. A stream of altered consciousness report on his trip to Vegas with his allegedly Samoan attorney, and the trunk of their car that carried an inventory of grass, mescaline, acid, cocaine, upwards booze, and ether. That's ether. It's a wicked high. Hurtling through the desert in a gas-guzzling convertible, they hallucinated attacks by giant bats. And speaking as your attorney, the lawyer advised him on drug. And Justin, the relationship of Thomason and his attorney was the basis of where the buffalo roam. An unsuccessful 1980 movie starring Bill Murray as the writer and Peter Boyle as his attorney. Now comes Fern Loading in Las Vegas with Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro. The hero... The hero here is named Duke, which was his name in the original Thompson book. There's also the name of the D- Thompson clone in the Doonesbury comic strip. The attorney, Dr. Gonzo, both Duke and the doctor are one-dimensional walking chemistry sets, lacking perspectives on themselves that they have in both the book and the, and the comic strip. We're not done yet. This res- The result is a horrible mess of a movie, without shape, trajectory, or purpose. A one-joke movie if it had one joke. The two characters wander witlessly past the bizarre backdrops of Las Vegas, some real, some hallucinated, some awe-interchangeable, but it's locked out of their minds. Humor depends on attitude. Beyond a certain point, you don't have an attitude. You simply 
inhibit a state. I've heard of a lot of funny jokes about drunks and druggies, but these guys are still beyond comprehension to the point where most of their dialogue could be paraphrases A. The story, Tom says, they sent to Vegas to cover the Mint 400, a dessert motorcycle race. It stays to report on a convention of district attorneys. Both of these events are dimly... I'm almost positive it's the Mint 300. Well, maybe you fucked up. So fuck you, Roger. You ready? <laughs> I got ready this year. Got love for this. The, the last comment's the best. So both these events are dim, dimly visible in the background. The foreground is occupied by Duke and Gonzo staggering through increasingly hazy days. One of Duke's most incisive interviews is with the maid who arrives to clean the room he's trashed. You know, you must know what's going on in this hotel. What do you think's going on? Johnny Depp has been a gifted and inventive actor in films like Benny, June, and Ed Wood. Here he's given a character with no nuances, a man whose only variable is the current degree he's out of it. He plays Duke in disguise, behind strange hats, big shades, and an ever-present cigarette holder. The decision to always use the cigarette holder was no doubt inspired by the Duke character in the drama comic strip who always had one. No, that was inspired by Hunter S. Thompson. But a prop in a comic is not the same thing as a prop in a movie. Here it becomes not only... Entirely unresearched. Duke isn't easy to understand at the best of times. Talking through clenched teeth doesn't help. This may explain the narration in which Duke comments on events that are apparently incomprehensible to himself on screen. The movie goes on and on, repeating the same setup and the same payoff. Duke and Gonzo take drugs, stagger into new situations, wonderful about Rick having a retreat to their... Hotel suite. The movie itself has an alcoholic and addict mindset in which there is no ability to step outside the need to use and the attempt to function. Function. If you encounter characters like this on the elevator, you push a button to get off the next floor. Here, the elevator is trapped between floors for 128 minutes. The movie's original director was Alex Cox, whose brilliant sitting Nancy showed insight into the world of addiction. Maybe too much insight. He was replaced by Terry Gilliam, whose input is hard to gauge, though is not his proudest moment. Who's the driving force behind the project? Maybe. Depp, who doesn't look unlike the young Hunter S. Thompson, but can't communicate the genius behind the madness. Thompson may have plowed through Vegas like a madman, but he wrote about his experiences later, and a safer-him-approached sobriety. You have to stay outside the chaos to see its humor, which is why people remembering the funny things they did when they were drunk are always funnier than drunks doing them. And this is the best part closing off. As for Depp, what was he thinking he made this movie. He was in trouble for trashing a New York hotel room, just like the heroes of Fair Lily along this space. What was that? Research? After River Phoenix died of an overdose outside Depp's club, you wouldn't think Depp would see much humor in the story. But then, of course, there isn't much humor in the story. Mm. I totally disagree with you. Uh, so do I. So That was a bad interpretation, I feel. I feel like interpretation. Did, like, that's like uh, a Jeremy John. Yeah, yeah. I, um, Jones, I would say one thing um, to the Beyond the Grave to Roger Ebert. <laughs> hey, respect to him first. Before. Fuck you. Wow. Um, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, good, good film credit. Whatever. I'm uh, whatever. Um, very prudish review. Um, yeah, I absolutely. Very, agree. very. Also, very incredibly myopic. Um, what does that mean? Short sighted. Oh yeah, 100%. Um, yes. Um doesn't demonstrate a, a, a any sort of uh research or understanding no, no, no. of the author's topics. Just thinks that they're drugged out silliness. Yeah, um, exactly. Good job being my grandmother, but <laughs> at the same time <laughs> you you you, enti- you you miss the entire socio-cultural commentary that follows Hunter S. Thompson's writing and um, is that's just a very 
honestly, myopic is the best word I could I could put for that review. You know, just this is the velvet review or like that. Yeah, this you know, you know, I I have a lot of respect for critics because. They're people that put that take their own opinion. They put it out there. Yeah, they they face a lot of backlash because yeah, opinions are always faced by backlash. That is true. That is very true. Um, but I think he went into reviewing this movie with an. He said he loved the book. Well, if you, I love the book. I read the book seven fucking eight fucking times. And I think it was this book followed the movie almost to a fucking t in a, in a sense, you know. There was aspects of the book that got left out, you know. But well, that's for a film adaptation, it's very well done. Very well done, as good as could possibly be. So, if you were a big fan of the book, the the the, the writing is integrated into the movie in a very, you know, strong way. In a very, uh, in, a, in a very intelligent way. So it, it surprises me that he would think that it's anything other than th- than that. You know, yeah. it, it it really does. It, uh, but you know, <clears throat> he's a film critic, so who the fuck am I supposed to know? But you know, I think his his review is very short sighted and um, um, prudish. And if you if you were a big fan of the book, how the fuck would you dislike the movie because the movie was excellent i can understand not being a fan of the comic strip because it, there was a it was a characterization i can understand why you would be a fan of where the buffalo roams because that was also a characterization but free love in las vegas the terry gilliam version was probably the most accurate depiction of the book I think there could possibly be, you know, I don't think it could be portrayed in a better way. Really. I really don't think there could be. Wow. That's saying something. That's deep, man. I fucking loved it. Mm. Do you have anything else you want to say or do you want to kind of wrap it Um. Because I got one question to ask you for the final question. Well, ask me a final question, then I'll wrap it up. Okay. If we had Terry Gilliam on the podcast, mm-hmm. what would be the one thing you would ask him about or talk about? The one thing I would ask him about would be, what was it like working with Hunter through um, trying to make an accurate sort of representation of his vision of his book into a, an actual film because I know he had to have worked closely with Hunter. Yeah, he um, had to fight for a writing credit on the movie. Yeah. And if, if there's one person I could sit down and have like a dinner and drinks with, it would be Hunter S. Thompson. Bar none. And so, Anthony Bourdain would be a contender. Yeah, it would be a contender too. But, um, so, the, um, my, yeah, my one question would be, what was your process of developing the film and working alongside of Hunter w- with, essentially? That's awesome. Yeah. If I ever get Terry, Terry Gilliam on the show, I would let you know. I'd also tell him, uh, penis, 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 vagina. You'd probably find that hilarious. Penis. 
vagina. I mean, he, uh, he, he again, he talked trash on Black on Black Panther and got hate for it by, pe- by people on Twitter. Well, so, <laughs> who else talked trash about Black Panther? This guy. <laughs> well, and your movie sucks. Yeah. Also, great uh, YouTube channel about movies. <laughs> I think. Uh, I disagree. He hates him. I love him. No, yeah, I, you did. Yeah, you just said it. I really don't love him at all. It's, he's hard to hear his voice. If I was, he is very him, nasally. I don't actually watch him that much anymore. But if I was to recommend any YouTube reviewer, it would be Chris Duckman. Yeah, Chris Duckman is probably the best music. Not Jeremy. I mean, I like. Mute, I, mean, I like and watch Jeremy Johns, but mainly just because he's habit at this point. He's a habit YouTube reviewer. I don't like the direction he's gone in, though. He used to be a lot better. He used to be so sexy. Now? Well, I think he's aged better. Than he looked back then. You, uh, really? Yeah. A little gray in his beard. Right. What, 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 would you, what else would you like to say? Um, to wrap the episode up. To wrap the episode up, um, <clears throat> I would say that um, uh I would like to thank Jacob for letting me be um, host, the guest host of this. Um, I really wasn't much of a guest host because we are at currently 1.30 a.m. And uh, we started at 12. Yeah. So, you know, um, and we, uh, I have a few drinks in me. Um, Jacob has one shot and I... Gatorade Zero. A weed. And a little bit of weed, so... Um, um, I, I wasn't as they, enigmatic as I possibly could be, but... Um, but that's how you have to be afraid of it. Right. Well, I think you did a fabulous job. Thank you. And uh, before we close off, this is Jake's old new review. I'll plug in my Twitter. I'm at JakeStrawberry98. Spelled J-A-K-E-S-T-R-A-W-B-E-R-Y. Barry with only one... R98. And would you like to plug in your social media, Sandy Boy? Barry, like Drew Barrymore. Yes. Um, yes, I am Sammy Good at S A M M M, I believe. Y G. No, wait, hold on. No, it's S A. It's a Sammy S A M M Y G. Three or four rows. Don't bring it up. Yeah. No, 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 no. Don't worry about it. I'm Sammy Good. Just try both three yeah. and four rows. Hey, if you type in Sammy Good, I'll I'll pop up. So uh, look up Sammy Good on Twitter. And uh, we out here. See you next week. See you next week. Or next episode. Fuck Roger Ebert. <laughs> <laughs>